space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek. Spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. back again friends hello thank you and good morning still we're recording on a sunday uh <laughs> on a monday is, on a, oh my god what's going on uh this is episode 73 of the code 47 podcast on the secret friends unite podcasting network it's a somber occasion today this is going to be my last episode until october with my awesome co-host uh that would be katie q katie good monday to you Hi, I'm just leaving for a little while, so then you can miss me for a little bit. I don't want you to get sick of me and then kick me off. She will return, but her her explicit objections to the fact that we're going to start talking about Star Trek Enterprise is why she's running away. No, I'm just yes. kidding. Uh, That's 100% legit. I'm not going anywhere near that show. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't touch it with the 10-meter cable prod. Anyway, as usual, I am Charlie Carden, uh, your uh, host, the Trek Lord of West Michigan, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, a chapter of the International Star Trek Fan Club. Uh, again, coming to you with some serious-ass Star Trek, and we got two episodes of Strange New Worlds to talk about, and then we're going to finish Deep Space Nine with some of the finest early episodes of that series, in my opinion, mm-hmm. including including two, three that are incredibly pivotal to the series in general, uh, and to Star Trek in general, so I can't wait to get to that. But first and foremost, we do have, uh, again, two episodes of what I'm, I'm considering to be Maybe the best, in my opinion, the best of what we've had of New Trek. I mean, I I know that, Katie, you're very heavy into Discovery. You love it. But this show mm-hmm. has, has absolutely captured my heart and mind. And it's not just because of the star and the fact that I'm working my, I'm working my ass off to look like him uh, fitness-wise. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's kick it off talking about Episode 3, Ghost of Illyria. Uh, Katie, go for it. Yeah, the USS Enterprise encounters a contagion that ravages the ship. One by one, the entire crew is inca- incapacitated except for number one, Unachin Riley. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. You got uh, it. No, you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Who now must confront a secret she's been hiding as she races to find a cure. Loved it 100%. And as you said, I am a Discovery baby. I love that show. But this show... I was very excited. Like it was one of the first times I was like, all right, just watched episode three. And then I was like, okay, Oh, we're doing two episodes. That means I get to watch episode four. Wait, where's episode four? Wait, that means I have to wait for it to come out. No. I know. I know. Contrary to the Netflix model where they just kind of yes. drop everything on you. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, I mean, I love this episode too, without a doubt. The thing that I really love about this series is, um, two things. A, it's a spinoff that's not a spinoff because it's also a sequel to mm-hmm. an episode to a, an episode very that Star aired. Trek time yeah. or very Star right. Trek fashion it's very like timey wimey widdly wobbly to uh, steal some Doctor Who references exactly <laughs> but they just they absolutely do everything right and one of the mm-hmm. things that both in this episode and then the episode that we're going to talk about to follow is they take a series of not only Star Trek tropes but also sci-fi tropes in general and they they find a way to make them great and new again like the you know race against the clock to solve the the Mm -hmm. virus that that you know that the crew is infected and one person's trying to figure it out that's been done in tos tng ds9 you know and but yeah it's it's a sci-fi slash just overall drama trope but they nail it they still and they take it in a way in this episode that reveals something about a heritage character that you never would have suspected that right. she is, yeah that she is human slash humanoid, um, but but she has this deep dark secret that she's genetically engineered, just like Doctor Bashir had the deep dark mm-hmm. secret that he was genetically engineered, and the fact that Lan is genetically engineered, even though it's it's more commonly known, and because it's an ancestor, it's really not that big of a deal. It's not like she's genetically enhanced. Right. Um, yeah. So this is this is great. Again, it, it tackles that prejudice, and it's funny because we were just watching. We decided to slam through all the Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World movies because that movie's coming up. And it's the same thing. It's the argument, you know, natural law and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, messing with the, the this thing and that thing, whatever it is. But um, 
confronting, you know, obviously one of the last real prejudices that is held by not only earthers, but, but, you know, by the Federation in general, Uh, I think this episode really nails it. That's a significant portion, you know, uh, Spock and and Pike being stranded on the surface and like the colonists are actually the wisp of light. Again, it's been done before, but it's, it's cool and it's mysterious, but we're not like, oh, this is now going to play out over the next 17 episodes. Like the way that other series in this more modern era discovery, you know, it's, it's pluses and minuses. Maybe they do it right. Maybe they do it wrong. Um, I'm not sure, but, um, and the great thing is they do like the things I enjoy about discovery is really not so much the plot, but the way that they grow with the characters and each character has a very strong story to tell. And I love it because I'm getting both the monster of the week, which I love, but also the stories with the characters are still continuing. So you still Mm -hmm. get to see that growth happening from one episode to the next, but it's not something where they're like, we're going to do this huge overarching plot that you have to pay attention to because otherwise you're going to miss it because someone made some offhand comment three episodes ago that's now going to be pivotal to what's going on in the season finale. Right, exactly. Yeah, who wants who wants to deal with all of that? It's just, it's too hard in this, you know, ADD world, of which, of course, I'm a part of, that we feel it's <laughs> like, oh, 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 jingling keys, there's a blue car. You know right. what I mean? It's, it's, it's just tough to keep up. And speaking with that, like, the way that they had like kind of the neurodivergency representation with Dr. Bashir. It's funny that you mentioned that episode because I was thinking about that episode too. And they were really showing a lot of those characters that were quote unquote enhanced as being on the spectrum and being mm-hmm. you know, socially awkward and right, right, right. You know, which are things that I, you know, as someone who's on the spectrum and as someone who's neurodivergent, I was like, hey, these are kind of some harmful stereotypes. And it was really great to see them readdress that kind of trope without having it be something where they're like, oh, well, they're just quirky and weird and they don't understand society because they're super smart and eclectic. Right. So I really enjoyed that part too. Right. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Too. Too much of a, of a stereotype. But again, that's not really what Star Trek is all about, which is yeah. what I think makes it very special. Mm-hmm. It always confounds me when you have you know mega hat types who say they're into Star Trek, but then hate all the diversity. It's like, oh, when did Star Trek get woke? There was some article from Fox News or one of those yes. places <laughs> around like, oh, Star Trek goes into the woke frontier. I'm like, have you watched the show since 1966? Right. And that you know, I don't understand it either because I'm like, this has been going on for a while, folks. It, like, you can it, try to say that they're now cramming it down your throat. I'm like, no, they're just telling more diverse stories. Like, right, exactly. They're actually taking time to stick with the characters. And that's what's making it interesting. Exactly correct. So I, I, I absolutely adore it. And then shifting into the next episode, we have uh, uh, mental. Uh, I'm sorry. Any other thoughts about Oh, no, nope, that was it. Okay. Was, except for like Excellent. Una. Una's my new favorite. I love Una. <laughs> She is fantastic. Yeah, I, no, I admired her bravery. And again, it was the same thing. It's like, you know, she says, well, I'm ready to quit. And Chris is like, you're not going to quit because you're too valuable and I love you and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, they just really, you're, you're really seeing that that cohesiveness. And again, you know, it's kind of nice that we have a crew that's been together for a while, though right. not everybody. Um, one thing about this episode and the next episode, and then certainly the ones that follow, the the ranking discrepancies, uh, the, the rank discrepancies between the characters drive me nuts. Spock wears the braid of a lieutenant commander. He's referred to as Lieutenant Spock. Uh, you have Nurse Chapel, who's wearing the braid of a full commander, uh, but in the original series, she was a nurse and a lieutenant. So I'm hoping <laughs> that they did the same kind of thing in Voyager in the first like 10 or 15 episodes. Tuvok wore the wrong rank. Paris wore the wrong rank. I'm hoping they maybe course correct in some fashion because it's just it's driving me nuts. It's just driving me nuts because I'm because I'm a costumer and I love uniforms. So I just, you know, it's a minor, minor thing that no one else ever would care about. But it's my show, so I'm whining about it in my own way. Oh, my God. So anyway, next episode, Memento Mori, uh, while on a routine supply mission to a colony planet, typical setup for a Star Trek episode, the Enterprise comes under attack from an unknown malevolent force. Uh, Pike brings all his heart and experience to bear in facing the crisis, but his security officer warns him that the enemy cannot be dealt with by conventional means. <sighs> Great. Again, very, mm-hmm. tro- very trope heavy. You know, we're stuck in a nebula. The ship is crippled. That came from the episode uh, DS Nine episode uh, Starship Down and early in season four. What it was, it was a watershed moment for Worf because it was his first time in command of the Defiant in that episode. Um, but they had to find a workaround and do unconventional things. And then you had Uhura and and Hemmer stuck in the cargo bay 
from the TNG episode Disaster, where it was Jordy and Dr. Crusher. Same thing. Oh, we have to we have to push the button to blow the, these containers out into space. Otherwise, we'll suffocate. They're taking these tropes and they're still flipping them mm-hmm. to a place where it feels awesome and original. So it's an homage, but it also se- seemingly has nothing to do with kind of what it's taken from. So, oh, man, I just I. I loved it. I love. I love it. How we're getting. We're, we're getting full development of everybody, slowly but surely. And you know, you're getting. Uh, you know, there's a great. You know, needs of the many, or, or not even the needs of the one that you see number one put out. Because she's gravely wounded. She mm-hmm. ends up in sick bay. Uh, all systems are offline, so they're having to do. You know, very triage, rudimentary medicine where they've got to get her on an IV. Uh, drip for blood, but then the, you know the the patient in the bed next to her is more critical. So she's like, "Give the blood to that patient." Oh, you'll die! But you know, I'm just you know, she's taking care of her crew. She's the XO, so it, it's great. But in the end, the doctor you know hooks up the IV to himself, and then she's getting blood. And I just ah, oh, I just love everything. <laughs> what can I, what can I, just they're, they're just they're hitting it all. They're hitting every little piece of it. And again, you know, yeah, you're going to, you know, after 50 years, it's kind of like that adage after 30 years uh, that you hear uh, on South Park, for example, well, the Simpsons did it. The Simpsons did it. Well, Star Trek, Star Trek is up against its own uh, saying, well, this series did it. And I think it takes a special kind of storytelling to be able to look at that and say, they did do it. It's not better. It's not worse, but strange new worlds is doing it this way. And it's excellent. Oh yeah. Well, that's, and it was yeah. That's how I'm feeling. Oh, big time! And it was one thing where um, I was really excited to see it um, from your perspective because I do not know about the Gorn. Right, I had no idea who they were, what was the, going on. The Gorn have had they've had two appearances. Yeah, the, yeah. The first of which was in the classic arena, you know, and you, Kurt fights the Gorn, and it's the it's it launched a thousand memes. Uh, and the second appearance was in an episode of Enterprise, so you'll never see it. Um, right. but, but, it but it was it was in a weird episode that was told in the Mirror Universe. It was a two parter and told in the Mirror Universe with the Enterprise crew, and the Gorn found them, their way into that episode. But because it was produced in two thousand and five, the Gorn was now CGI. So it's basically mm-hmm. a Velociraptor in clothes, as opposed, yeah. yeah. Kind yeah. of what I was I was getting from it, but one thing that I really liked is that they made them very very scary. Yes, like, this, God, it felt yes. like a very real threat, and I was like, this is the way that like I feel like they wanted like the Klingons to feel like, or they want right. like this was a very predatory aggressive race. Big you know, time. like the Dominion. I feel like that's what they were going for with that, and they just never were able to get the, the teeth the, behind it. The Jem'Hadar, yeah, right. yeah, or yeah, and the Jem'Hadar, but. just the way that they had to go through it and the way that Lon was talking about them and what you saw with them. I was like, this is awesome. And I really hope that they become kind of, not necessarily there has to be a full story, but that they become a reoccurring villain, just like reoccurring, you know, threats with the Klingons and threats with the Romulans and that sort of thing throughout the other series when they're kind of doing these monster of the week things. Cause I loved them. And I'm like, I want 100% more of these guys. Cause it's like full on predator mode and here for it. What, what is awesome about the two that you mentioned is that the Klingons, I didn't love how they were done in Discovery. I would really like to not see them again. Oh, but, yeah, no. Yeah, I am, but, as a and, lover of Discovery, I disavow the entire, like, first season. I'm like, just don't exactly, even bother. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the, the Romulans, we can't see them yet because uh, they aren't actually I will, they aren't actually introduced slash reintroduced until first season of TOS, which is right. like six or seven years past it. So we can't see them. We got a taste of them in Enterprise, but it was all, they, they never met. It was here's mm-hmm. the Romulans, here's it. Or, you know, it's funny, it employs a great piece of this that, that Peter and I will talk about in the next episode because there's an early season two episode of Enterprise where the Romulans appear in space and there's a little bit of cat and mouse going on, uh, but it's never revealed who they are. And I guess Enterprise did the same thing with the Ferengi, which ooh, whatever. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was not the greatest. But um, with this in this episode, I did very much love that it was very cat and mouse. You never saw a face. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it maintained that mystery for, I think, people like you who have no familiarity. But mm-hmm. again, you've got the Gorn from the shadows, you know, in Lon's flashback, thinking about, you know, the the cargo ship or the, the colony ship that she was on that was, you know, brutalized. And she was one of the only survivors of, you know, yeah, they 
that you know everything is prey, everything is food. They're just they're gonna mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna. It's like a cat toying with a mouse. You know that's yeah, essentially. It felt very alien. It felt very like predator. It was really 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 well done. Where it was very much like boogeyman in the dark. Right. And I was thinking kind of. You know, obviously, with the way that Lower Decks did it with the Packlids, it was done much more of a tongue-in-cheek kind of way. But they still right. were able to make the Packlids, who had like one episode in TOS or not right. TOS, maybe TNG, right, become a still like valid villain, you know, right. kind of race. Um, and I feel like they're doing the same thing with the Gorn, where it was just kind of this kind of a one-off, spoofy, goofy thing that right. they tried, you know, tried to make threatening. Right, but it came off so much better this time because oh they were able God. to kind of sit down and actually think and build what they wanted to do with them. Right, and the best horror films, and I know it's not your genre, the best horror films mm-hmm. will deliver more of the sizzle than the steak. You know, oh, it'll, yeah, be, it, it'll be this outlier of terror um, that makes you fear finally actually seeing something as opposed to being like, here's the gore and they're, and they're having a, they're having a firefight or they're doing this thing or that thing. Um, so yeah. Oh God, they did it absolutely spectacular. So, well, good. That wraps two more episodes of uh, stranger worlds. Um, I am just bummed that we can't talk about more of the season. Together. I know that is going to be one thing that I was I thinking about. I'm like, cause I'm going to definitely continue watching it and I'm going to be definitely Please. bummed that I can't, I mean, I'll probably just end up messaging you and be like, oh my gosh, did you see what just happened? I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, please do. Oh my God. Well, uh, moving into segment two. Oh my goodness. This is, uh, th- this was, this was mind dropping for me. The, the episodes we're dealing with the la- the final seven episodes of uh, season uh, two of Star Trek Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine. Uh, these aired early in 1994. And as I'd mentioned uh, in the previous episode, this was the end of my senior year in high school. Uh, so I was, I was a full on Trek nerd, you know, girls wouldn't touch me with a 10 foot pole, but I always had my Star Trek and my you Marvel comics. Yeah, I always did work for me. Um, but yeah, th- this launches us into some of the finest work that they did. And I think was the beginning of a corner turn. I mean, there were some, there were some getting into season three, which you and I aren't going to talk about until it's funny. I was doing the the math on DS9 because this season ends on a cliffhanger. I'm like, when, when are Katie and I picking up this cliffhanger? Oh, it's next February. <laughs> talk about this. Sorry. So yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's just the natural <laughs> progression of the show. That's not, that's because we're bi-weekly and we're trying to go, right. we're trying to go series by series, same season. So that, you know, it's, it's it just to have some kind of symmetry to it. So, um, but anyway, let's get it started. Uh, Katie, you uh, take the first two because it's a two part. That one's on right. you. Go for um, it. Well, we have um, the Marquis part Marquee. one. Marquis. Marquis yeah. part one is uh, by David Livingston, story by Rick Bergman, uh, Michael Pillar, Jerry Taylor, and James Crocker, teleplay by James Crocker. It aired April 24th, 1994. Um, and with the Federation colonists reject the treaty with the Cardassia and take matters into their own hands, forming a terrorist group called the Marquis. 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 And the Maki, just to give you a little, <laughs> just to give you a little historical reference, and there's also it's a huge Voyager tie-in, obviously, but we talked about obviously, it in a minute. Yes. But the Maki was the French resistance in World War II. Oh, there we go. See that? There, so there's down. there's the reference. So anyway, um, please continue. Yeah, so this builds up kind of the the start of this. And again, it's a two-part section, which was kind of fun to have right in the middle, kind of middle end of the um season because right. usually you get that where it kicks off the season or it ends the season. Um, but this one, they're like, no, we're just going to stick like in the last five episodes. Um, right. So then you had, you know, um, the Maki part two, which was by Corey Allen or directed by Corey Allen with story um, actually by looks like a lot of the same folks, Rick Berman, uh, Michael Peeler, Pillar, excuse me, Jerry Taylor and Iris Stephen Burr. And then the teleplay was by Iris Stephen Burr. I think that uh, Charlie just likes having me read this stuff out so I can fumble over all of these. No, no, I just, it's, 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 a, it's a learning, ex- it's a learning experience. And I, I will, I will uh, plug in there uh, before you read the description that uh, Rick Berman was the, the king of Star Trek at the time. He ran the franchise. Michael Pillar, uh, he and Michael Pillar created, the late Michael Pillar created Deep Space Nine together. Jerry Taylor co-created Voyager. And Iris Stephen Bear was the main showrunner of Deep Space Nine. So this two-parter was So that's written, why was, this was so strong. It's written by the creme de la creme of, of the golden age of Star Trek creators was this two-parter. Yeah. So yeah, you had the part one and then part two is that those um, colonists, they reject Cardassia, the treaty with Cardassia, and take matters into their own hands by planning to destroy weapon depots on the Cardassia Brima colony. So it was really great. You had a lot of 
back and forths with these colonists and a lot of, you know, we're not going to trust the Cardassians. They're not being trustworthy. They're not holding up their end of the deal. Anytime you're dealing with Cardassians, you can expect them to not hold up their end of the deal. I mean, and let's be real, Cardassians haven't exactly shown that that's not true at this point. Exactly. So... Oh my, so many strong performances um, and, and character relationships. First of all, you meet Cisco's old, like oldest friend, uh, Cal mm-hmm. Hudson, who is a, a fellow uh, Starfleet commander. Uh, he's the, you know, Cardassian liaison to the demilitarized zone. But behind the scenes, he runs the Maquis. Uh, and that's not revealed until the, you know, the cliffhanger piece of the end of the, of the first part. Um, you know, it's, and then that's, their interactions, I think, particularly getting into the second mm-hmm. episode, are the strongest because you're watching, you know, two best friends who they, they don't want to let it go. Like he's like, Ben, you can help us. Let us use your station to smuggle things. And he's like, I can't do that. I can't. He says, I'm, I'm, you know, we're fighting for our lives. This treaty is wrong. We're fighting against tyranny. And Cisco's like, I'm holding the line or whatever it is <laughs> until, until. He and Kira have that that speech interaction uh, where she says she said she said exactly what you said. She said the Cardassians cannot be trusted to hold up their end of the bargain of this. She says they're your enemy, not your own colonists. And if that's what Starfleet believes, they're more naive than I already think they are. He so many slams his hand against the table to open the door to give her the get the fuck out symbol. He's just he's so he's so angry because you can tell that he wants to agree. That in his heart, that it is hard, and you'll see this play out in in seasons four and five with Michael Eddington, who becomes the next Cal Hudson, an officer who betrays him. That he believes in Starfleet very strongly, but it, 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 but his sympathies reach out, but ultimately his his you know his call to duty is stronger than his you know desire to see these colonists say, well, why can't they just leave it? It's just a piece of land. Why not leave? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's. That's what freedom fighting is all about. It's not. It's like no, you don't just you know some distant government doesn't tell you well you know you're not living here anymore. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then if the the other side of the treaty are you know colonists that will violently displace you, um, and you know the the Cardassians are so shifty in so many different ways they don't care. Um, but yes, it's the secret war. It's the um, it's the uh, you know it's Cobra versus GI Joe. It's just it's all this ah so it's much going on in Simpson. It had a lot of, um, with um, Cisco and his his former um, friend, it had a lot of kind of like almost Professor Xavier Magneto vibes. Right. Like having totally. these philosophical discussions about like, you know, duty and, you know, doing what is right, even if it's, you know, going against the law or going against what you're supposed to be standing for and how do you know, like the ethics and morality and, you know, context matters. And I right. think that was a lot of what like Kira was trying to get at too, is like, yes, okay, sure. We signed this treaty. But if they're not planning on doing it, like context matters for this treaty. Right. And, exactly. You know, and it's, again, it's one of those things that I really enjoy because we do get to watch this continual struggle with Cisco as he's continually broached with this and hitting a wall with um, Starfleet as he's like, you know, trying to convince them of that same thing where he's learning this the hard way right now. So that down the road, we watch him fight and try to argue with Starfleet going, no, guys, you don't understand Right. Oh my gosh. It was just, this was pivotal. Obviously this gave birth to the, uh, to the, the main the plot line of Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other uh, big wigs uh, in the Maquis is Chakotay, a Starfleet officer who abandoned his, you know, commission to defend his home colony after, and it was actually fleshed out in one of the two canonical novels that, that Star Trek has ever had, which is called, Pathways. I th- oh I'm just looking at the shelf behind me like it's there. I've read it several times, but <laughs> there, there, there are two novels. Oh, yeah, it is called Pathways. One novel is called Mosaic. Uh, it gives uh, Catherine Janeway's backstory, which, again, it's canonical because it's written by Jerry Taylor. And the Pathways novel is also written by Jerry Taylor and canonical, and it's the story of everybody else. Uh, and mm-hmm. so you get to learn that Chakotay left uh, Starfleet when his home colony and his father were all slaughtered uh, by the Cardassians on one of these border disputes. So he joined up and that's what, you know, and, you know, Janeway's job as a captain slash, you know, someone focused on intelligence was to bring them in. And so they chased him to Chakotay or uh, Tuvok, who was her security guy, integrated himself into the Maquis cell that Chakotay ran. Uh, and then they both ships got swept across the galaxy and had to join forces, blah, blah, blah. And then that was the whole series. Um, 
So this was a great setup. The Maquis, they kind of died on the vine after this. There was a great episode of uh, TNG, the very tail end, where the character mm-hmm. of Roe Laren, Ensign Roe, Lieutenant Roe at that time, Michelle Forbes, uh, who was also the superb Admiral Kane in, in B- D- uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica, um, also abandoned Starfleet for the Maquis because she was Bajoran. And, and she felt, just like Cal Hudson, just like Chakotay, felt very strongly that, no, what they're doing here is wrong. My conviction outweighs some stupid treaty uh, that someone signed for what they felt was the greater good. But for the people here who are dying and be, you know being killed by the Cardassians who aren't respecting the treaty, we have to fight for our lives. So uh, just... Oh, one of the finest. I, this is one that I'll, I'll watch this. I'll watch, this is a two-parter. I'll just like, I want to watch some of the best of DS9, maybe once or once a year, twice a year, every other year, and I'll tune in and I'll just watch this one and mm-hmm. move on because it's so damn good. So anyway, oh, such good stuff. <laughs> Moving on, episode 22 of the series is The Wire. No, it's not HBO. Uh, directed by Kim Freeman, ri- written by Robert uh, Hewitt Wolf. Again, a big wig of the DS9 writing staff throughout the series. Uh, came out in May of 1994. In order to save Garrick's life, this year must unravel some of the secrets of the Cardassians' past. And this was the first real dive into who Garrick is. Now, we've seen him in a handful of episodes, starting with really the second episode of the series, mm-hmm. uh, as a plain, simple Taylor Garrick, but clearly <laughs> pa- packed with, uh, with, with mystique, with intrigue. Um, and so what we find out in here is that, yes, he was a, uh, the, he was a member of, the, we're introduced to the Obsidian Order, which is the Cardassian secret police, the secret branch of the government that does all the, the dirtiest of the dirty deeds. And uh, Garrick was a big piece of it, though we don't learn just how big until a little bit more time goes by. But what happened was when he, you know, made his final, you know, he, he made a violation that he got himself thrown out. Uh, he was stuck with this implant and exiled to... Tarak Nor, uh, and the implant was, uh, no, excuse me, I'm, I'm misremembering. He was given the implant, as all agents do, to help him avoid interrogation by switching it on, and then you, you get, you know, shiny, you get shiny, happy feelings, and you kind of tune it. It's, it gets them high, you know, so maybe that's why, maybe that's why he always acts so weird. I <laughs> he's all, do-do-do, shiny, happy people holding hands, you know, Lucy and Sky with diamonds, I don't know. Well, it sounded like the way that they're describing it is that it takes like pain sensors and turns it into pleasure instead. So while right. they would be torching you, you'd actually be getting serotonin releases versus right. pain release. So oh, they're pulling out my fingernails. Dee, dee, dee. Right, you're like, this is dee, fine. Dee, dee, dee. This is fine. It's like that that meme where everything's burning around you, and you're like, this is fine. Oh, <laughs> you just you you just uh, you just uh, named the episode. This is fine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. So yeah. So. But what basically happened is, uh, you know, Garrick's life living on the station sucks so much. He just turns the thing on and just leaves it. Well, eventually it starts to burn out. It's destroying his physiology. Uh, so Bashir has to find a way to uh, to remove it, replicate it. And Garrick, you know, lashes out against him. And, you know, they're, they obviously like, you know, he's go- while he's going through withdrawals after he removes the device, um, so Bashir has to then venture to Cardassia, where we meet in the the even more enigmatic Inabrintain. And I will not talk too much about what the connection between he and Garrick are is, but <laughs> but uh, but Tain is able to help him, and ultimately, in, in typical sitcom fashion, he, at the end of it, he's fine. Um, but you know, we've learned so much, and it, it opens the door to so much more. And I think so much is, and so little at the same time in exactly. true Garrick fashion. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think this is the episode where Garrick says. Uh, you know, believe everything, you know, and he says, even the lies, especially, especially the lies. The lies. Yes. yes. Totally. Well, and excellent. I don't know if it was this episode or if it was the one that we watched earlier where he, um, Bashir asked him if he was a traitor, how could he be in exile and a spy? And he goes, well, why not both? And Bashir yeah, just right. laughed at him. And I'm like, he literally just told you the thing. He literally just told you. Literally. 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 And that's, again, that's the thing I love about Garrick, though, is that he is, oh, I could, I could have an entire spinoff series with just Garrick. He is wonderful. One of my favorites by far. The guy who plays him is wonderful. And oh, Andy Robinson. Oh, my yeah. God. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I remember the first time this, I was watching through the season and this episode popped up. I absolutely loved it just because again, I love Garrick and I wanted to know more immediately because there's so many little, everything he says is a puzzle. And so you just right. have to try to figure it out. And it's, 
one of the great things. And I just felt like a lot of times I was like, Bashir, shut up and just listen to him instead of yeah, trying right. to take that face value. You know, he's right. not telling the truth. You know that there's a double edged meaning there. Right. Take, take your notes and later compare your notes and get, yes, yourself, a, exactly. get, get, get yourself a vision board. Get, I'm like, aren't you supposed to be a super genius? You should be able to figure this stuff out. <laughs> oh my God. Garrick vision board. Now the name of the episode. <laughs> yes. Garrick vision board. Oh my gosh. Oh, all right. So the next one is you. So go for it. Okay. That is crossover by David Livingston. I'm um, story by Peter Allen Fields, teleplay by Peter Allen Fields and Michael Piller uh, aired on May 15th of 1994. <clears throat> Kira and Bashir accidentally cross into the mirror universe where a Klingon Cardassian alliance rules the Terrans and are slaves on the station. A century before, James T. Kirk had made a similar crossover affecting humans and galactic history. Oh my God! This this was one that set in motion so much that followed. It's just, ah, I was so great. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it was incredible. So yeah, you get this simple, uh, Karen Bashir, they're headed back through the wormhole and Bashir's kind of sort of hitting on her and she's really kind of not having it. And then, you know, oops, space anomaly. And they, you know, somebody flips a switch or they go through or something or other and they, uh, unfortunately crossover universes and they pop over and there's a couple of Klingon ships and they're saying intended why we didn't know you were leaving the station they bring them back to the station the first person to greet them is Garrick but he's in a Cardassian military uniform everything's dark and scary Mm -hmm. Um, and yet you're getting you know there had been countless non-canonical mirrors so we probably count them there have been a myriad (laughs) a number of uh, non-canonical mirror universe stories uh there was in the first uh dc comics star trek series that came out in the 80s they did one there that was just they picked up where the old one left off and it was very bland and generic but so was that entire series uh they did what they did a a novel uh based around tng um and, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of took it as, well, Starfleet's still around. They never considered that. What if it was the other way around? What if Spock came along? And, or what if the mere, you know, goatee bad Spock uh, followed through with what he said the, at, the, at the end of the original TOS episode? Is that is that one you've seen? Oh, no. But I know the. Oh, know no. 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 Um, so what happened here is that, you know, mirror. Spock, unlike in the non-canonical stuff, took it to heart and said, I'm going to change everything. We're going to become peaceful. And then someone came along and, you know, like the we were watching the Jurassic Park movie, like the Velociraptor, who when you show weakness, they just tear your throat out. And that's what happened. That's what happened. Um, There have been continuations of that uh, that, again, are non-canonical, but based on this where, you know, the Terran Empire isn't all the way gone, but it's very tiny. And that's where the mirror Picard is, is that he's still on an enterprise and he's trying to fight his way out and blah, blah, blah. But regardless of all that, you get to see just a scenery chewing appearance of Kira as her alternate universe where she's the boss, you know, but she's also where you see it. She's also a sex fiend, which you see in this one and in her next appearance and her subsequent ones. And she's just like, oh, so does that mean that what is does that mean that our cure is just totally different than that? Or, you know, or deep down, deep down, does she really, you know, want to dress up in sexy outfits and do this kind of stuff? I have no idea. Um, but it, that part of it doesn't really matter. We get the mirror Cisco, who's kind of a cad and a scumbag who has change of heart at the end. Um, you get a great uh, interaction with the mirror O'Brien, who, mm-hmm. you know, is a very beaten down, you know, smiley, which is what uh, the mirror Cisco calls him. Um, how he decides to rise up at the end, you know, because I've been a slave all my life, but I want something better. This was a rough season for O'Brien. Yeah. Oh, God. A lot. <laughs> it is, it's, it's not over yet because no. it's coming up that it's like, oh, my God. He is. He, he's the Jordy of this series. It's like, yeah, let's, let's he really up is. is it, you know what? Maybe that's an engineer thing because it kind of happened, Maybe. To Scott, it happened to Scotty more than once in TOS. You know what I mean? So being an engineer is the worst job to have on a starship because you're always going to be part of the kidnap kidnap slash torture menagerie that that goes on in that series but um i i love this so they go in there and they start a revolution mm-hmm. it's awesome because that you know that's that's kind of Kira's stock and trade that's what she does is you know she's a revolution starter so she she crushed it i loved it what did you think oh yeah absolutely this was really great i really love that they gave kira um the actor who plays kira they gave her a little bit more to work with this time so you know she got to play this you know mirror version of herself which was just she was very narcissistic um very full of herself so you know she takes a fascination with our kira just because she's like hey it's like having a pet of me which you know because she has this own sick fascination which she's just totally enamored with herself right um 
And so it was just really, really great. And you, yeah, you got to see a lot of range from a lot of the characters because they don't normally play those kind of roles, which was really, really fun. Right, right. Absolutely correct. So, oh, man, oh, man. So, um, yeah, I loved it. And again, it sets the tone for um, several Mirror Episodes uh, universes to follow. We get, mm-hmm. the mirror, we get the Mirror Universe back in the first season of Discovery, which I, I'm thankful we agree sucks and we're not crazy about it. So <laughs> we, just kind of, we just kind of ignore that yep. and pretend that Discovery begins with season two. Uh, yeah. That's good. That was good. You know what? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a Code 47 proclamation. Start Discovery with season two. Yes. Uh, it yeah. might not make, it might not make a lot of sense, but there's a recap. There's always a recap. There's always and a that, recap and that's fine. Yeah. And that is speaking of great recaps. And again, that, you know, there's a potential that you'll join us over on Holocron to talk about uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, in a couple of weeks, but at the beginning, I, I assume you've watched so far. I actually have not. Oh, okay. Well, I will tell I you don't something, say anything yet. I will tell something, tell you something very non-spoilery. The first five minutes is a recap of the prequels which pretty much negates the need to ever watch the prequels again. Oh, cool. It gives, that. You, all, it gives <laughs> you all this great information that you that gets rid of those terrible So again, great season one Discovery recap. Don't have to watch mm-hmm. Discovery season one again. There, I have, I have solved your Discovery. If you have a problem with Discovery, I just solved it for you. There you go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, episode 24 is The Collaborator, directed by Cliff Bowl, story by Gary Holland. Never hear his name again. Teleplay by Gary Holland, Ira Stephen Bear, and Robert Hewlett Wolf. So maybe that's that's kind of what saves it. Uh, aired May of 1994. Bajoran uh, secretary named Kubis, who aided the Cardassian occupational forces, wants to return home from exile. Vedic Wynn engages in a power play against Vedic Burial to become Kai. I don't really care for this summary. I probably should have probably should have rewritten it in some fashion. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, the, we're getting we're back into a little bit more of the Bajoran politics uh, mm-hmm. intrigue because uh, this really expl- it was just a few episodes back that uh, Burial and Kira became a thing. Um, so you see them kind of fully engaged in their relationship, blah blah blah. Uh, but yeah, it's coming to f- this uh, this Kubis who is was high on the list of Bajoran collaborators that if he ever surfaced again, he would be uh, exiled for good or he would be prosecuted. Well, he comes onto the station. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to slip in the back into you know Bajor and it's going to be a no big deal or whatever. But he gets he gets kidnapped and then in turn for some leniency, uh, he rats out the fact of what he believes that Vedic Barile or rather, I'm trying to remember correctly, someone in the Vedic Assembly was responsible for a massacre in the Kendra Valley during the occupation. Somebody mm-hmm. ran them out. There's another collaborator that has not been exposed. Um, and But they don't know who it is. So Vedic, you know, Vedic Wynn, or, uh, who we all you know love to hate, oh, yeah. uh, then says to Kira, well, my child, you're here to help me, and da-da-da, this thing and that thing. And she's like, fuck you, lady. But still, she's like, no, if there's a... There's a collaborator to be sussed out about this thing. If there's some evidence, I want to find it. I mean, Kira's got a Kira. Let's be real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kira's got that. Might even be an even better. (laughs) Kira's got a Kira. All right, hold on, Kira. I mean, and yes, you're very right. Like you just when you just got it, you got a hater, and you love hater. Like it's one of those things where I struggle because I'm like the, I absolutely loathe her. Just like um. Oh, the Cardassian Gul Dukat. Oh God, I hate yes. him. I hate both of them, and I just which me. is which is so wonderful for the way the series ends with right. those two characters together. Yes. And yeah. that's the thing is, I'm like, okay, like I guess the whole idea is that I'm supposed to hate them. So you're doing a great job because I just right. absolutely loathe them. You got it, Gold Star. Yes. <laughs> But part of me is also like, did I have to hate them so much? Did right, you have to could... make them this just? Ugh. Yeah, really, but yeah, it's, 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 it's almost too much. Oh, my. Yeah, God. I did really enjoy how the politics played out in this one. And, you know, it's definitely felt very it was very good. and also felt very defeating because in this one, like the good guys, you know, good guys did not win. You find out that right. at the end that like um, Burrell did not do what people were charging him with, but he did try to cover it up for someone else. Right. And right. it was just a really great way to kind of show how good doesn't always overcome evil. And again, it is setting up for future conflicts, you know, to right. be in place. And, you know, it just shows again, that continual like messy struggle of like what happens in a post-war society. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, so you know, how 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 much bearing do we do? Really, what it was is Burial had covered up the fact that Kyopaka, who 
people believe is dead, but she's stranded on a planet in the Gamma Quadrant in a season one episode where they land on a planet where people can't die, but once you do die, you can't leave the planet again or you, you'll be dead. She stays there to make peace. Um, but what really happened is Kyle Paca, who is the most revered religious figure in the, you know, she was the hero of the Bajoran resistance. Mm -hmm. um, she was the one who, fa she was faced with this impossible challenge. The Cardassians had said, if someone doesn't tell us where the base is of this particular group of rebels, we're going to annihilate this entire valley of 1200 people, which really doesn't sound like a lot, but I guess, I guess it's a lot. Uh, and she said, okay, their base is there. Well, one of the members of that resistance cell was her son. And so she said, I'm going to give up my son's life for 1,200 people. It was very much a Spock needs of the many kind of moment that she did. But again, even Burial realized that people were never going to be able to accept that this hero of, of the Bajoran resistance would, you know, would compromise the 30 something lives. It would trade 30 lives for 1,200 lives. Right. Yeah. You know, pe people really couldn't deal with that, even though what she did, I don't know that there aren't many people that wouldn't make that same choice. You know, even, yeah. even, you know, I mean, you know, the mathematics of it. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, somebody was going to die anyway and mm -hmm. it, we were being slaughtered anyhow. But why why not try to save as many lives as you could, which is what she did. Um, but but Burrell took that bullet. He sacrificed his political career um, and, and then let someone who is truly awful um, win the race and become the top dog uh, so that he could protect the legacy of, you know, of this dead leader. So. Like you said, time and again, is it something that happens in real politics? Absolutely. I mean, mm -hmm. do we, will we ever know about all those things? No. I mean, it's, you know, it's the, it's the Kennedy assassination. You know, who really did it? Who's covering up for who and what and where? Who knows? Mm -hmm. who, who's, who's ever going to know? Anyway, oh, get, getting back into talking about the trials of being a Starfleet engineer. Yes. Uh, that would be episode uh, 25, Pen. pen ultimate episode of the season tribunal directed by Avery Brooks. So this was the first time I think a cast member directed an episode though. It would not be the last um, written by Bill Dial, kind of a no one to the series. Sorry, sorry, Bill uh, came out in Ju June of 1994. O'Brien is declared guilty of an unspecified crime and later tried air quotes in the tribunal held on Cardassia prime. Wow. The Cardassian justice system mm -hmm. uh yes yeah, so when when someone is snatched for a crime on cardassia uh they are there there is a phony baloney show trial um and the guilt the the verdict now this was described this was actually described to us in the um in the maquis episode we mm -hmm. didn't even really talk about the uh cisco and uh gold ducat thing that ran throughout that episode but we learned a little a, a lot about you know kind of cardassian politics and stuff at that time is that with the Cardassian justice system, when someone is snagged for a crime, there is no guilty until proven innocent. You are simply guilty. There's a show trial because the people demand it. They love seeing the justice process trotted out. Um, so they, they have they have a lawyer who stands up there and says, well, you know, this thing, that thing, whatever, but the state. Oh, the state. I believe in the power of the state. The state knows what's going on. Okay. So, and then the person is already sentenced to death. Right. The um, lawyer is just there basically to get the person to try to confess on the stand. Right, and to exactly. Get them to acknowledge their guilt so then they don't have any risk of, you know, possibly trying an innocent person. There's no question of guilt at that point. And then they can be like, look at how good the state is. Look you know, at, you know, we have a guilty person and we have done justice to the people. I have a potential revision for the name of the episode, but I don't want to do it because it's so corny. Keeping up with the Cardassians because it's it's, it's reality TV. <laughs> that has to, you have to at that point. Okay, you have so, to it's at that so, point. It's so corny. We All right, live okay. for that. We live for that. Come on. Okay, Cardassians. Oh my goodness! But yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It, it's super mm -hmm. phony baloney. So anyway, what's going on is that uh, just for a quick framework, O'Brien and Keiko are going on a little holiday, just the two of them, and uh, their runabout gets stopped in the middle of wherever, and they say, "Yeah, we've got proof that you're smuggling weapons, so you're coming with us." Yoink! And they just grab him, mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and and they get off. So what happens is, you know, as as O'Brien is leaving the station, he bumps into, uh, uh, you know, an old, basically an old. Star Starfleet buddy who's retired. He's like, Raymond Boone, dude, I'm glad to see you. He said, you know, we were on set like three together, which was, it was really detailed as that was, um, that was the, one of the last engagements of that Cardassian war, which was probably 10 years before this, that, mm -hmm. that, that was the real root of how much, uh, 
uh, O'Brien despises Cardassians. Um, and what this this Raymond Boone guy, what we find out in the end of it is that he's really a Cardassian spy. He's not the real Raymond Boone. And he recorded O'Brien saying a bunch of stuff so he could duplicate his voice to get into the security locker to steal a bunch of photon torpedo warheads and frame O'Brien for it. And that's basically what happened. So that's kind of the, uh, that's the big reveal at the end. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the keeping up with the Cardassians, blah, mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. And it's just, it's just further deepens the schism of how just truly horrible Cardassian society is in general. Well, and you see how fascism works. In that sense, I mean, because they really are showing how a fascist state can keep people in line where it is, we will give you this form of entertainment as long as you stay in line. And everyone, I mean, the Cardassians have to know deep down, you can be pulled away at any point and be taken for a crime, regardless of whether or not you committed it, and you will be put up for judgment. And there is no, you know, there is there is nothing that's going to stop them at that point. Like once you're taken, you're taken. And that is the end of the line. Taken. Right. And so they do all of this stuff and they have all of these procedures, not only just to show, you know, the greatness of the state, but also to be like, this is what the state will do if you try to step out of line, because it comes down to the fact that like, they obviously knew that O'Brien didn't do any of this stuff, but what they were really charging him for was they were pissed that he was bad talking Cardassians in a public setting. Exactly correct. So yeah, this is um yeah, but again, poor O'Brien. He's oh, and you you find out the Cardassian documentation process. So they they strip you down naked, which I guess we saw that with Picard in the the chain of command where he was tortured by that dude. There are five lights, you know that that mm-hmm. guy. So Cardassians are totally cool with nudity. I get other people's nudity, um, but yeah, they 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 slap you down. Um, they put you in a chair. They painfully scan your eyeball. They take a piece of your hair and then they pull out a tooth. Yep, this when is your first molars. Yeah, this is your, this is. But they do that to everybody. That's like, oh, you've got your first molar and you're, you know, 13 years old. Yoink! Yeah, yep. yeah. They just, yep, because it's got to go. And it, it goes in a little two-piece storage container. Hair on the left, tooth on the right, and it gets filed because the, the Cardassians are bitch cakes about record keeping. They love having records of every little thing, and you see that in bits and pieces as the series goes on. But yeah, good stuff. The um, the Enterprise gets a name drop in this episode, and this was just after the series uh, finale. Uh, All good things was like two weeks before this, so that was kind of cool. And uh, there's there's actually a a very symbolic piece of the Enterprise in uh, this last episode of the season. I think this one's you, so go for it. Yes. All right. The Gem Hadar, um, written or directed by Kim Friedman and written by Ira Stephen Bear, uh, aired June 12th of 1994. (laughs) Cisco, Jake, Nog, and Quark go camping on a Gamma Quadrant world. Cisco and Quark are captured by mysterious soldiers called the Gem Hadar and meet a force, the Dominion, to rival the Federation. Oh, baby. We finally get our Dominion drop, which was great. Um, Yes. I did find the weirdness with Quark where he was like, we're better than humans and we're, you know, where he's like complaining the entire time. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where he was exactly supposed to fit into this episode and what line they were trying to follow with him, but everything else I absolutely loved. Right. Yeah. Quark is, you know, it's like, we've not had genocide in concentration camps. I'm like, you have a society uh, that is completely based on capitalism that, um, completely makes women well, beyond a second class citizen that you right, keep and like you literally you're not allowed to leave the house or wear clothes that right, is exactly. slavery <laughs> so yeah i don't know i i think he picked quite a hill to die on here but yeah. yeah you're right that's it's very much kind of a throwaway and i guess you know potentially they're trying to create some kind of contrast within Cisco, like, well, I'm Federation, and we believe in everybody, but we don't like Ferengi. It could be you're just an asshole, Quark. I, I mean, know, you know. Like, that's also, I'm like, because I love Nog, and I love um, Nog's uncle, or Nog's... Uh, Rom. Rom, yeah. Both yeah. of those guys are great. Um, right. I think their their mom is awesome. Uh, no, Moogie, absolutely. Yeah, Moogie's fantastic. I'm like, no, I'm like, Quark, I think you're just kind of a dick. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, so it's like someone who said, oh, you're racist against... I've had people... I've had someone say that to me once or twice. Yes. Uh, who's like, oh, you're racist against blah, blah. I'm thinking, I'm not. You're an asshole, and I'm going to treat, I'm gonna treat you the way you treat me. It kind of felt like a lot of... Cons- like 
the conservative extremist arguments of like, right. well, if you're being intolerant of me and I'm like, no, you're homophobic. I don't have to put up with that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You can draw boundaries against toxic right. people. That's, that's the way the world actually works. So th- this was, I mean, this was a landmark episode. It really created a departure uh, from the run up, which again, mm-hmm. and we'll do a little series, you know, rated from nine to 10 when we're rated out of 10 when we're done here. But it gave us, you know, we had a, we had a pretty weak sauce first season, which is kind of typical of Star Trek mm-hmm. of the classic series. We had a lot in you, you know, we've had a lot of bright spots that you and I have talked about in the last several months uh, in this, in this second season, Oh yeah, uh, you know, with high spots and low spots and really high spots and super great. Uh, but this says, you know what? You know, we had the Borg. The Borg came along. They were a big threat in TNG, but they were defeated and they disappeared. Now we've got the Dominion. They're not weird robot people that are just going to go away. Yeah. Uh, they're not. They're they're far, far away. But you know what? They have access to us, and we still really don't know. We don't know who the founders are. We think we know who the founders are. They give us a little tease with with Eris, uh, that that actress. I think her name is Molly Hagen. And there was a show. You know, you want to talk about a deep dive? I mentioned uh, before that when I was growing up, my mom worked at Fox 17, the local Fox station here. And so we always had Fox on in the house. As a matter of course, there was a show in the early 90s called Herman's Head. Mm-hmm. And I, I would be stunned if you ever heard of it. But it was a guy and there were four actors that played the various states of his emotion. And Molly Hagen like played his his love or his affection or his like warmth. It was kind of like that. What the hell was that Pixar movie? Oh, um, now I can see it in my head. Pluck it out, pluck it out. Anyway, it was that it was that movie, <laughs> and it, that I'm sure not directly inspired that. It was, but oh, it yeah. was a, it was a sitcom, and he was a, he was an adult guy trying to find his way through life. Well, but anyway, Molly Hagen was the the voice of his love or whatever. So yeah, this is the kind of shit you get talking to me. Ah, in my head. But um, yeah, you thought, oh, yeah, Inside Out. Thank you. So you think, oh, she's a founder, but it turns out really later on. I'm not going to say. You'll learn about it next February when we come back for the two-part kickoff. But spoilers yeah. from 1994. <laughs> yeah, spoilers from 1994 projected into 2023 when we will get back. To this. <laughs> but um, yeah, the the not so subtle um, TNG is over. Forget about it. Is that uh, when um, our 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 gang? We have two of the three runabouts because Cisco and his crew have the third one. Our two runabouts, which is dumb if you think about it, because it's those two runabouts, and then the the ship that goes to help them is a galaxy class ship. It's the same as the Enterprise D. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't make sense that those two runabouts were flying along, but there weren't a bunch of other runabouts and shuttlecraft that that came from the Odyssey, which is the name of the ship. Um, so they have this pitch battle with a couple of different Gemstar fighters, one of which does a suicide run into the Odyssey, destroying both ships. So it's like, you like TNG? Fuck you, TNG is over. We just blow up the Enterprise. <laughs> you know, get rid- I mean, even when the Enterprise D crashes in Star Trek Generations, which came out uh, the holiday season of 1994, so six months after this, I mean, half of the Enterprise blew up, but the other half of it crashed, and this just, kaboom! Oh, yeah, it's and gone. It's gone. They, they, at least, they at least had said that, oh, you know, we're going to offload non-essential personnel before we go. So it wasn't that a whole thousand people died, but probably at least three or, 400, three or 400 yeah. people died in that explosion. So, But, yeah, I thought that was really heavy-handed, like, oh, you like TNG? You know, it's like the stepdad. Well, I'm your dad now. <laughs> Deep Space, Nine, Deep Space <laughs> yeah. Nine is your dad now. I mean, in all fairness, I didn't know that that was the week after TNG ended. So right. I was just like, wow, them Jem'Hadar, they are crazy. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, it only, it only, and it only gets, you know, crazier. Seasons three, mm-hmm. four, and then five are all this Cold War with the Dominion. Okay? Yes, which you is know, you'll see, fantastic. Yeah, the, the Klingons get involved in a way. Uh, the, the Romulans get involved in a way. The, you know, the Cardassians are involved. So that's all swirling around. And it's not till the end of season five that open hostilities begin. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we have three seasons of this cat and mouse. Like, doot, 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 doot. There's so many great episodes. God, I, I could create a list of great Dominion episodes in seasons three, four, and five that would really have you hustling to watch, try to... Like if you if you took it as a point of like I'm just a, a an individual trying to piece this together, not knowing what the big picture is in seasons, mm-hmm. you know, six and seven, it would be. You know, I remember watching it for the first time. I was in college because it was it was right after this that I, I went to college, and then you know the rest of uh, DS9 ended at almost the exact time that I graduated from college. So it was on for another five years. So that's just that's really weird to me that the parallels because TNG beginning of middle school, end of high school. This was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my senior year of high school through the end of college. Yeah. It's just really weird to me. Oh my gosh. Oh, and then, and then Voyager and then, well, yeah, then it's, then there's less exciting parallels, but anyway. Um, okay. So, um, one to 10 season two, uh, for favorite, favorite episode, least favorite episode. Well, now I'm going to have to go back and think about all of the episodes. Um, Okay, oh, just give, just, just to, yeah. Just to, I would if, rate if you, it probably like a seven. I think. Yeah, okay. I think it's because like, it is very strong. I mean, it's not like my 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 favorite favorite. I think that it does get a little bit stronger in the later episodes or later seasons. But I'm I'm saying it's a seven. Like I think it ended on a really solid note. There was a cliffhanger, but not like a crazy crazy cliffhanger. Like right, you know, part right. of the Borg type. Right. Of yes. Yeah, it wasn't um, like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah, it definitely left you wanting more, but it did feel, it felt very solid. Like they were definitely going somewhere with it. So I would say, yeah, solid seven out of 10. Gotcha. Okay, favorite episode. This is going to be so tough. All right, I'm going to let you go first because I'm actually going to go look up the episode. Oh my God. <laughs> you well, can't I, expect me to remember the episode names. <laughs> that's that's very true. But even if you just threw a plot line out, I can help you match it up. But it's um it's a tie almost a three-way tie between the circle three-parter that kicked off the season the the maquis and then this jempadar episode um because they all you know where the circle didn't drive things as much as those other two did it was still it was the first three-parter in star trek history and it was a great solid mystery that i think really gave great character development to more than one character kira in particular yeah that's fair that's fair Uh, I would I would also have to pull up a list to figure out what my least favorite is, but why don't you do oh, your I know your... which one my favorite is. It's okay. the one with um the Ferengi who pretends to be a man. Oh, okay. With uh Pal uh Pel? Pel? Peck? Pel. Pel. Yes. It was Pel, yes. I think that would probably be my favorite. Um and then I think maybe my least favorite was the um one with the betting system. Whereas like the oh, oh the rivals with uh, the uh, Chris Sarandon was a guest star yeah um, like that one was just like it was fun but it was just like meh like yeah but it, also we're picking off of like a really solid list of shows so it's not like we're TNG season two where I was like immediately knew I was like that was a horrible episode oh and anything and everything that went with uh, you know Dr. Plasky I <laughs> will probably have to agree with the rivals episode being the weakest because it had no. It, 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 there were no stakes, and at the end of it, it was a you know, or the there was a, yeah. I mean, th- there were a few that were um, like, oh, the B story was like flat or whatever it is. But yeah, there was nothing. Wait, in the I'm rival- back. The weird one where Cisco fell in love with a gal in like two days, where she was projecting her. Oh. That was my least favorite episode because that one was just. I'm like, you've known her, you've met her twice. What are you doing? I totally love her. Or whatever you know that that that's a that's a solid that's a solid. A comparison between the two, yeah. yeah on the say. anniversary of my wife's death, which the, which the I'm date was meet wrong. Some rando on the hall, on the yeah, on the, on the promenade, be like, be like, oh, never baby, mind. I love you. I yeah. haven't had se- I haven't had sex in three years. I I love you. Oh god. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh well. With that, uh, we're going to bring this to a very tearful goodbye. Katie leaving us temporary until, until we come back. We'll be coming back around to uh, Voyager. Yes. Season two uh, in October. So, oh my goodness. Well, Katie, this has been uh, this has been spectacular. Uh, you have been. I was just telling somebody earlier today. Probably don't don't let anybody hear this, even though I'm saying it. Probably my favorite collaborator that I've worked with on the show. Oh, we well, thank you. We just you and I just we just we have a connection. We just we I think we work very well together. So um, that being said. Peter is coming back on. Peter's a great mm-hmm. guy. He's uh, he, he's he's a little bit. He balances my high energy to a little bit of a little bit of a lower. I say maybe don't mellow. let Peter know. I mean, I you're putting this out, you should maybe cut that part where you said that I'm your favorite collaborator as you're no, no. to come back on. <laughs> he's he, he's uh, he's totally tied. No, he, <laughs> no P- Peter is great. I will give Peter credit because when this show kind of fell apart because my two previous hosts bounced on me. Peter was the guy who stepped in and, and helped me keep it going. So I'm eternally grateful. So Katie, and I'm looking forward and I'm looking forward to your uh, photography exhibition in a couple of weeks here. It's going to be awesome. Super excited. 
You got it. And with that, uh, we will. Uh, I will toss you out for your last outro. So go for it. Yes, you can always find us online at secretfriendsunite.com. And for all of our episodes, additional content, and bios of all of our SFU network stars, you can hit us up at secretfriendsu at C3 or at the C3. And that's C E E three spelled out and at Q underscore T geek on Twitter. And let us know what you're enjoying about the Trek world. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and visit us on T public for all kinds of swag. Totally awesome. And always for more information uh, about Starfleet international, please visit grand Potosky on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter friends. As always, thank you for joining us, Katie. I will see you in the thereafter, live long and prosper. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. And wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.